Alright everybody, welcome back to the Didactic Mind Podcast, the very first one of the new year, 2021. This is Didactic Mind Episode 62, Tumble and Turn. A uh, very warm welcome as always to all of my longtime readers, a very warm welcome to all of my Podbean subscribers. If you have not subscribed already to the podcast, either on Podbean or on the site at Didactic Mind, please make sure you do so. That way you will never, ever miss a new upload, a new podcast, either in the uh, weekly Didactic Mind series or in the uh, less frequent but uh, always interesting, always fascinating Domain Query series. Uh, basically, I wanted to wish you all a very happy new year, wherever you are. 2021 uh, is officially underway. We are... Well, Wherever you are, we are several hours into the new year, uh, if not most of the day in. Um, I hope you were able to do some celebrating, at least. Uh, maybe not much, but some. And you were able to enjoy the company of friends and family. Uh, 2020 was an extraordinarily difficult year. And extremely challenging, extremely painful, miserable year for most people, I think. It's probably fair to say... Whatever plans you had in 2020, they were completely disrupted and uh, disjointed by the commie pox, the, the kung flu, uh, general tso's chicken pox, um, you know, the Wuhan virus, the, uh, the Chinese mumps. Uh, take whatever suits your fancy, whichever one you find the most offensive um, in the current context. Or perhaps you won't be offended by it, but other people around you will be offended by it. Um, by all means, you know, for, feel free to use one of those on them. Um, I am, for my part, I am done attempting to uh, modify my tone uh, with these things. I, I, there is some evidence to suggest, actually quite a bit of evidence to suggest uh, that the uh, coronavirus, the, the novel coronavirus that has caused so much problems, uh, so many problems throughout 2020, did not actually originate in China. Uh, it originated outside of China and uh, may well have been circulating outside of China for months before um, the scandemic became widely known and understood to the rest of us. But be that as it may, uh, as far as we can tell, it originated, uh, the, the worst part of the outbreak started in China and spread around the world in large part thanks to the Chinese government. Uh, a number of Americans uh, of my acquaintance believe or view what the Chinese did, the Chinese government I should say, did as an act of war. And in some ways it was. And it's important to understand going into 2021 uh, what the global geopolitical situation is like. I think while 2020 was a miserable year in many ways, I think the looking back upon it, the great value of 2020 lies in the fact that a number of illusions were ripped away from us and we no longer have to bother attempting to believe them. We don't have to worry about entertaining these lies anymore. Um, among these lies is the notion that 
China uh, is like the rest of the world, like the rest of the Western world, I should say. It is not. Uh, the Chinese government is not like Western governments. The Chinese people, for all of their great virtues, are not like Western people. Uh, once you spend enough time around the Chinese, you're very quickly going to realize that they are a very low-trust, high-performance, high-IQ culture. Uh, very similar to Jews in this respect. And indeed, when Jews and Chinese uh, go head-to-head -head and compete, it, it's quite uh, an interesting thing to watch because they're very ruthless uh, in dealing with each other. Both are uh, low-trust groups which only really trust their own people. Um, and not that much in that regard either, by the way. Um, both are uh, perfectly willing to use uh, ethnic politics to their own ends. I mean, one of the dirty little secrets of um, Chinese people in Western companies is that they really only hire Chinese people. They're, they're not interested in hiring anyone else. Um, they will they will go just short of making their uh, preference obvious. Like, they, they will go right up to the point where they will just before the point where they will come out right and say it, that they only want to hire Chinese people. Um, the the only other people, I mean, they're not the only ones who do this, obviously. Indians do the same thing. Uh, Jews do the same thing. Um, the only people that I've ever seen who don't hire in this manner are whites, strangely enough. Uh, white people strike me, in my entire career have always struck me as by far the most tolerant and open-minded when it comes to um, hiring people from other races and other backgrounds. Uh, this is not a common thing, by the way. Another great lie that saw its well-deserved destruction in 2020 uh, was the foundation of the great heresy of Islam. Now, for most people, um, Islamic theology doesn't bear much weight. It's not important to your daily life, and I understand that. I mean, it's a fairly esoteric subject in many respects. Um, those who have experience with Islam really have it more along the lines of, um, you know, dealing with uh, Islamic culture, dealing with uh, Islamic terrorist attacks, um, dealing with the, the strangeness of Islamic practices. But 2020 was remarkable because it saw the first and, well, not the first, but the greatest and most powerful and most public attack upon the foundations of Islam that we have ever seen. Um, and none of the, none of the stuff that came to light in 2020, which I narrated in a couple of pod, in like three separate podcasts, maybe four, actually. Uh, I think it was, there were a few of them. There was, um, uh, domain query, the missing Arab armies, uh, which was a response to a question by reader uh, Sasha Hrongmitz. Then there was uh, One Man, One Book, parts one and two. And then there was um, a fourth one, which was uh, basically comparing uh, the Quran and the Bible. Um, uh, burning books and burning truths, I think it was. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, at least four different times in 2020, I, I talked about the ways in which um, the foundations of Islam have been uh, shattered by 
not not even particularly new scholarly research. I mean, some of it is new, some of it is very new, but much of it has been known for decades, if not centuries. And this is a wonderful thing because for the first time, massive numbers of Muslims around the world are forcibly confronting the roots of their own faith. They're going through a process which we Christians had to go through centuries ago. I mean, uh, the 19th century in particular was devastating for Christianity. Uh, a number of very powerful <coughs> arguments were posed to Christian scholars and Christian religious leaders, uh, pointing out seeming inconsistencies, contradictions, problems, uh, in uh, anachronisms and uh, factual errors, seemingly, in the Bible. And the Church in Europe never really recovered. Uh, it still has not recovered to this day. Uh, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, and then millions of people left the Church because of these attacks. And at the time, Christian leaders didn't have the tools or the knowledge to handle the attacks they could not respond to them appropriately. So they kind of didn't bother responding, and the result was uh, apostasy within uh, and among Christians on an, uh, on an unprecedented scale. Um, and the church has never really recovered since. But since that time, the church leaders and Christian scholars uh, from around the world, not just in the Catholic Church, but uh, in the Protestant church as well, and some of the Protestants have actually been doing some of the best work in this field, uh, went away, did their homework, and came back. And new historical evidence has been unearthed that shows repeatedly that the Bible is uh, an incredibly accurate, incredibly vitally important historical document. We have uh, now direct evidence that King David was a real man. We know that he existed because of a particular tablet uh, discovered somewhere in Israel. I forget exactly where, but it says very clearly, I mean, prior to that, King David was considered to be a mythical figure. Uh, he, is, he was not, and he is not. Which means that Jesus' claim to be a descendant, a direct descendant of King David, is true. Uh, a lot of attacks focused originally focused on Genesis, the first ten chapters of Genesis specifically, and uh, th there was a, a big question about whether Moses even wrote Genesis. Uh, he lived in f roughly 1400 BC, so you know 3,400 years ago. Did he actually write the whole of the the five books of um, of of the Torah, the the, the Pentateuch? Uh, that has been pretty definitively answered as far as I can tell. Um, there is still some question as to whether he wrote all five books, but were the, f the ideas presented in Genesis accurate? Well, as far as Abraham's existence, as far as Lot's existence, yes. We now have the um, Amarna tablets, uh, the, um, what was it called? The, it starts with an N, I forget what it's called now. But we have the Amarna tablets and uh, something else, um, the new, the, Damn, I've forgotten. The, it starts with an N. I'll have to go look it up later. Uh, the Nuzi tablets, that's it. The Nuzi tablets, the Amarna tablets, and a few others, um, which I mean, just present a, a wealth of historical information proving that Abraham existed, that uh, the five cities named in the Bible, among which were Sodom and Gomorrah, 
were named in the correct order, in the right places, as part of a trade route that extended from east to west. Uh, we know where Abraham lived. We know that Abraham, as he was known before meeting God and becoming um, the father of the covenant between himself and the Lord, uh, actually existed in the place that he was said to exist, in the Bible. And he existed around the time that the Bible indicated he did. The customs and traditions described in uh, those Amarna and Nuzi tablets corresponded with what the book of Genesis actually said about him. Uh, when Moses was writing in 1400 BC, I mean, Abraham had been dead for, what, 400 years at that point, uh, that information was true and accurate. It was it, The customs described by Moses had, were outdated at the time, but the, these tablets show us that, in fact, this is true. Um, when we look at the book of Exodus and we look at uh, the way in which uh, the events of Exodus are described, uh, modern historians are now realizing that a lot of what we took for granted about Exodus being mythological and mythical and not real, that's been shown to be a lie. If you, if you get rid of this one reference to Ramses uh, as the pharaoh, um, under whom the Israelites fled and left Egypt and uh, entered the Promised Land. Then all of a sudden, you look the, the dates for the for Exodus change from the New Kingdom period of Egypt to the the end of the Middle Kingdom and right around the Bronze Age collapse, the the late Bronze Age collapse. So we have done our research, we've done our homework, and. Today, the case for Christianity from an archaeological, historical, textual uh, um, basis is stronger than ever. We have done the historical criticism, the redacted criticism, the source criticism, the textual criticism. All of it has been performed on the Bible. Some of these methods were uh, not invented for the Bible itself. They were invented for other books, but they were perfected on the Bible. Uh, textual criticism, for instance, has been used to tear apart the original manuscripts of the Bible. And it was used to show that many of the Latin-derived texts used by the Catholic Church were incorrect, and that the Catholic Church itself did not understand the, uh, or at least the monks and priests, uh, you know, the, the, the preachers of the Catholic Church at the time did not understand their own text in Latin. They did not preach correct gospel theology. They, they were reciting incorrect things. But Martin Luther in the Reformation and subsequent generations of um, scholars and investigators have brought us closer and closer and closer to the original meaning of the text. The Christian world has so many texts by now that we can be more than 95% sure, I think, at this point, that what we have today is what the original biblical documents said back in the day. We don't claim to have the complete Bible. We don't claim to have uh, the original manuscripts. We don't claim that the Bible uh, was perfectly preserved. We don't make any of these ridiculous claims. What we do claim is that if we examine the manuscript evidence and we examine it closely and we compare different manuscripts uh, from different eras against each other, 
and we look at, we really look closely at all the edits and changes and insertions and deletions and updates and everything else, of which there are like 500,000 manuscript variants right now, between all the roughly 25,000 manuscripts that we have. You know, we have 5,000, what, 5,300 to 5,800 Greek manuscripts. We have over 10,000 Latin Vulgates. We have over 9,000 translations of the Bible into different languages, you know, different, uh, different old-school manuscripts. We have manuscripts that date to about 300 AD. These are the oldest Greek manuscripts that we have available of the New Testament. And of those, all, you know, between all of those various manuscripts, and the, the pile keeps growing uh, every year, between all of those manuscripts, we have 500,000, roughly speaking, variants, of which less than 1% are actually significant. And of that 1%, not one of that 1%, not a single one of those 1% variants actually changes essential doctrine or theology. That is the degree to which we can have confidence in what the Bible says. No such confidence exists for the Quran. None. No such confidence exists for the existence of the Prophet Muhammad, so-called Prophet Muhammad. He didn't exist the way, the, the, the way that Muslims think he did. All of this has come to light in 2020, and this is wonderful news. I mean, this is great for us, uh, those of us who try to point ourselves as closely as possible as we can to the truth. Because it means that we don't have to waste any energy. We just get on with pointing ourselves right back to what is true. And if that's the case, then it means that we don't have to waste time with lies. We don't have to worry about the nonsense that tries to distract us. And I want that to be the focus of our efforts in 2021. Um, 2020, as I said, was a terrible year, but was good because it stripped away a lot of these lies. And in 2021, we had the opportunity to capitalize on that. Now, this is around about the time of year when people tend to make resolutions. And in all honesty, I have very little patience for resolutions. I did a podcast almost exactly a year ago called New Year's Irresolutions, in which I talked about how pointless and useless it is to make resolutions of any kind. And I said um, that if you're going to uh, plan for the year, then you have to actually make a plan. Um, you cannot say... I want to lose weight. No, that doesn't work. I, I, I want to get a girlfriend. No, it doesn't work. I want to get a better job. No, it doesn't. What the hell? Somebody just drove the wrong way down the street. Um, sorry, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll come back to what I was saying, but, uh, right now I'm, I'm standing in a hotel room, um, in, uh, in what I like to call Pony Bastard Land, uh, in the UK. Um, I left, the old country uh, on shortly before uh, New Year's Eve and uh, made a long and very uncomfortable journey over here. Um, and I spent the last couple of days in self-isolation, which is not fun, but uh, one good thing is I'm sitting in a hotel room in the center of the city. I won't say which city exactly, but uh, uh, I am in the north, uh, about an hour's drive uh, away from Sheffield, and uh, about an hour away from Leeds uh, by car, and uh, it is up in the north where it is rather cold at the moment, uh, cold and foggy, 
but uh, everything's shut down because of the, uh, the, the bloody quarantine, um, and that's the way it is right now, really. And I was just looking out my window at the trams going across the, the, the tram lines, and uh, somebody in a grey hatchback just literally drove down the wrong side of the street, uh, down a one-way street, as a matter of fact. Um, plainly had no idea where, where the hell he was going. Probably she, I'm guessing it was a woman driver. Um, and before women get pissed off at me everywhere, uh, let me be very clear about this. The women who are good at driving hate other women drivers. Um, they think that they are, that other women drivers are just, it's like appallingly bad uh, at following road signs and directions. Um, I also, by the way, have made the mistake of driving down the wrong way of a one-way street. I did that at an airport once, and uh, it was a bit embarrassing. Um, fortunately, nothing happened, but it could have been very, very, very bad. Uh, Newark Airport uh, back in, I think, 2013. So it was a long time ago. So anyway, um, as I was saying, uh, the, the point of a New Year's resolution is that it just, it's an excuse. It's uh, wishful thinking. Uh, it doesn't actually give you anything useful to aim at or anything useful to plan for. And I think it's a complete waste of time. And that's why uh, I want to build on this idea that I was talking about earlier about how 2020 was a crucible in which lies were burned away. This year is a year for us to focus on building on what is true. So to that end, I want to talk to you about uh, five things that you can do this year to turn the page on 2020 and put behind us a very, very painful and miserable year. Now, I've been very open and transparent in saying that 2021 is almost certainly going to be worse in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of the stupidity and nonsense and idiocy, uh, all of it, in fact, that dominated 2020 is still very much alive and well. We still have governments around the world that believe that you can endlessly print money and nothing will happen. Um, populations around the world, particularly in Western countries, outside of the USA, have sold their rights and their freedoms down the river for the illusion of safety and security, neither of which is possible in the current environment. Uh, I have gotten into real, I mean, vicious disagreements with members of my own family about um, what a giant scam all of this, you know, the, the, the whole scamdemic really is. Um, and the reason for that is because of my own biases and because of their biases. And, you know, my bias is towards hope uh, and truth and pushing forward, living life however, in, in however flawed and problematic a way, but living it without fear, without worrying about any number of things. Other people do not have that bias. They have a bias toward stasis and toward living in fear, living uh, without, uh, without necessarily, I wouldn't say without hope exactly, but living without um, significant disturbance to their way of life. And they they almost glory in, in this very terrible situation that everyone finds ourselves in 
uh, everyone finds himself in where we can't do anything. We can't fight back. We can't uh, build or plan towards anything. So to that end, how are you going to turn the page? Uh, how are you going to move away from that? Well, I wrote in my um, email to uh, my mailing list subscribers earlier today about this. If you're not subscribed to my mailing list, then uh, make sure you do because uh, you will get some really cool uh, advice and uh, insights and you will you know, be the first to uh, take advantage of certain offers that uh, I may well be in a position to market and you'll get um, direct advice sent straight to your inbox. So uh, make sure you sign up. Um, we're at uh, 34 subscribers now already and the list is growing every month. So the first thing you need to do in order to get past the, the hell times of 2020 is to create a plan. And as I've said many times, this is exactly why I have no patience for New Year's so-called resolutions. These are just a goal without a plan. A New Year's resolution is really just a goal without a plan, which makes it a wish. A goal without a plan is nothing more than a wish. That's useless. If you want to live on wishes, then you might as well effectively create a business um, based on the premise of selling fairy dust and unicorn farts. Um, good luck with that. You know, I mean, if that's if you can find a viable way to make a business out of that, hey, great. Uh, I, however, do not think that's a useful or worthy career goal. I would say you're better off trying to plan for things. Now, this is where you need to understand that the all-important difference between risk and uncertainty. You see, 2020 was an, an extraordinarily uncertain year. 2021 will probably be the same, but in most years prior to 2020, you had to deal with risk. Risk and uncertainty are two different things. I'm a mathematician, or I, I am one by training. I'm not actually a mathematician these days, but you know, I have two degrees in a subject. Seriously, I do. Um, I don't always sound like it, but I do. Um, and in mathematics, or I find it easiest to understand this concept in mathematical terms. So risk is where all of the events that are possible, um, or all of the possibilities are known. Uh, for example, you step out of your door in the morning. What are the range of possibilities that can happen to you in the next five minutes? Well, you could walk down the street and be completely fine. Uh, you could get run over by a car. You could get hit by uh, a falling tree branch. You could be attacked by a pack of rabid squirrels. You could um, be uh, suffer a close miss uh, from a bus passing by. You could be attacked by a stranger. You could be... Uh, you could trip over a bag of uh, money worth a million dollars just lying on the ground. These are all possibilities. The question is, how likely are any of these possibilities to happen? The possibility or the, 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 the event of going about your day completely normally with nothing extraordinary happening is probably around 99%. The possibility of all that other stuff happening cumulatively is less than 1%. Okay? You know this. You know what the events are. 
the whether or not you have a good day or a bad day depends on how well you assign probabilities to those events. You could walk into work and get a promotion, or you could walk into work and lose your job. Um, how well do you predict these events? That's up to you. That's up to your own experience and your own skill. Uncertainty is where the events themselves are unknown. Uncertainty exists when you don't even know whether you can go outside for a walk. You don't even know whether there's going to be a bus. You don't even know whether there's going to be a job waiting for you when you go in the office. That's uncertainty. And under uncertainty, it's nearly impossible to make any plans. 2020 was a hugely uncertain year. All the plans that pretty much any of us made at the beginning of the year failed to materialize. Certainly all of my plans failed to materialize. Uh, friends of mine, you know, Kyle Trouble over in Ukraine, uh, has said this, have said the same thing. Kyle has said repeatedly that many of the ideas and plans and business, uh, business, uh, uh, initiatives that he wanted to put forth were strangled at birth, more or less, or were, you know, saw 90% of their revenues disappear because Facebook or Twitter or Google changed their ad algorithms. And when these big tech giants are capable of, of destroying you with a flip of a switch or uh, by deleting a video or changing something in the way that they display your preferences uh, or uh, your data, then you know you've got a very, very serious problem. But here's the thing, 2020 revealed all of this stuff for us. We always knew it was there in the background, but it was never so obvious, it was never so overt. So a lot of the uncertainty has now been removed out of the equation. It, it displayed itself in 2020. What we now have is a situation where we know damned well that we cannot trust the big tech giants at all. It's not possible. These people are evil. These people are manipulative, cynical, disturbed, and disgusting. And they do not deserve our time or effort or energy. Use them if you have to. I mean, I have Google accounts, obviously. I have an Amazon uh, affiliate ID. But don't trust them. Don't build your business on them. Uh, my Amazon affiliate uh, ID, for instance, doesn't make any real money. Uh, it's nice to have. It's a nice uh, income source. I mean, it provides uh, a useful and valuable service that helps monetize my content a little bit, but it doesn't actually generate anything significant, not you know to the degree that it needs to, which is why you can build on other things. You can now look for other alternatives, and you can only do that when you have a plan. So, if you want to achieve something in 2021, don't make a resolution for it. I'm not, I don't care about your resolutions. I don't care if you want to lose weight or get a girlfriend or get married or whatever. Don't bother. Don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. If you want to plan something, if you, if you want to achieve something, I should say, plan it out. You want to create specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound goals with, like, basically... Um, milestones or markers saying, I've done this by this time, I've done that by that time, and so on and so forth. Yes, that's a business acronym. It's a BizBlab acronym called SMART. Um, I don't like BizBlab very much, uh, even though I'm going to be exposed to a hell of a lot of it very soon. Um, this is one of the ways, this podcast is one of the ways in which I keep myself sane, by the way, uh, in, in a world um, dominated by nonsense. But um, you must create a plan, and that's how you do it. You set aside what you want to do, you put it down on paper, and then you put goals next to it. You, you put milestones, rather, next to everything you want to do. 
Number two, and this is probably the most important. As I said, 2020 was the crucible in which lies were burned away. You now know where the truth lies. You now know that the RT-PCR test, for instance, used for COVID testing, is a deeply flawed methodology based on a, something called the Corman-Drosten paper. That paper is uh, under heavy scrutiny, under heavy review. And this is exactly where I got into a huge argument with somebody um, about. I keep saying that the paper has been withdrawn. It's not been withdrawn. I was wrong about that. Okay, fair enough. I was wrong. It hasn't been withdrawn. If I said it was withdrawn, it wasn't withdrawn. It is under review. And it is under review because the paper has 10 huge flaws in its methodology that, uh, and, and, and its, uh, its approach and its conclusions. Uh, that, uh, interestingly, Dr. Mike Yeadon, uh, who I think was head of research at Pfizer uh, at one point, or if not head of research, then definitely a researcher at Pfizer uh, at one point in, in his career, uh, he is among the scientists who reviewed the paper and was like, this is nonsense. Uh, what they're proposing doesn't, is, is not workable and will lead to a lot of false positives. And the other, this is exactly where I got into a, you know, a shouting match with somebody. Well, he was shouting, I wasn't. Um, where I said, this test yields a lot of false positives. And my, you know, my, this, this other person said, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. It does not yield false positives. That's bullshit. Stop lying. Um, it does yield false positives, and it yields false positives precisely because, uh, as critics of the paper have pointed out, the way the RT-PCR test works is by sampling ever smaller and smaller amounts of material to kind of magnify um, the amount of viral particles in your system. So if you give a sample and it goes through 30 cycles, and it finds um, a particle of virus uh, above the, you know, above the 30 cycle threshold. That's when you test positive. It's like, you know, anything above that threshold, your uh, the, the viral load will not be detected. But above that threshold, it will be detected, and it's above that threshold that you will test positive. Well, most labs don't seem to have an agreed upon standard of how many cycles they'll use. Some use 25, some use 30, some use 35. Uh, and so on and so forth. There's no agreed upon standard, but uh, there's a court case in Australia, I think it was. Um, it's either Australia or New Zealand. I'll have to go look it up. But four people uh, were quarantined against their will, and they went to court over it. And the judge ruled in their favor and said these people have been indeed detained illegally. And in that judicial ruling, uh, a very startling piece of evidence emerged in which the probability of a positive test went up to 97% uh, for, you know, testing a particular sample if it had, um, like, if it was from somebody who had been exposed to somebody with COVID. But the probability that that person was actually infectious was about 3%. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. If you want to, I'll have to see if I can find the the original, um, the original document. It's somewhere in the internet. But uh, if that's, it is true. I mean, it, that is that that is actually in a court filing somewhere in um, in Oceania, uh, down south. And that should tell you something about the nature of these tests. They're not particularly useful. If you 
if the if the likelihood of infecting somebody is three percent, but the probability of you being positive is ninety-seven percent, above a certain threshold, what is the point of the test? It doesn't tell you who's actually infectious or not, and that's the point you have to keep in mind. These are basic truths. These are realistic things. That these are these are real things out there which you're being lied to about every single day. You're being lied to about the notion that we don't have any preventive measures for COVID. We do. Ivermectin uh, is under heavy clinical research and has been tested in the field. Uh, what's his name? There's um, a doctor who testified in front of a Senate committee about Ivermectin. It was on Fox News uh, online. And you can actually watch the clip. You can watch the full 10-minute uh, statement that he gave. And he stated quite bluntly, under oath, you know, in front of a Senate panel, if you take ivermectin, you will not catch this virus. They gave ivermectin to several hundred first-line responders, and not one of them caught the bug. And of the sample of people who didn't take ivermectin, 43% of them caught the bug. So, given this, why aren't we investing in ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine sulfate? Well, because these are cheap, readily available drugs which have been used for antiparasitic purposes for decades, um, they aren't multi-billion dollar vaccines. Uh, they aren't designed to make big pharma lots of money. I mean, I'm saying that as somebody who happily invests in big pharma. Uh, and I don't have any problems with investing in big pharma. But these people are not honest about their motives. They are not honest about the truth of these medicines. Uh, doctors are out there, a number of doctors are out there saying hydroxychloroquine sulfate plus zinc plus vitamin D plus azithromycin when taken together is a very effective cocktail of drugs against this bug. Uh, but every time anybody brings it up, people laugh at them. The media laughs at them. Uh, people like this, this person I got into an argument with laugh at them. They say, you guys are crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, well, these people went to medical school. Just, you know, they did. They know what they're doing. They're out there in the field. They're actually testing. They're actually working with patients. So what do you know? But that's the nature of a fear-driven society. Um, the truth dies early and dies hard. So point yourself at the truth and you will be much better off for it because you won't have to waste time or energy sorting through the lies. You won't have to listen to people who lie to you consistently and constantly. And you won't have to deal with people who peddle in lies, who believe in lies. You don't have to deal with people who believe that, let's say, Joe Biden won the election in the United States legally and fairly. He didn't. You won't have to believe people who say um, that the elites around the world have your interests in mind. They don't. You just have to look for yourself and make up your own mind. And that's, that brings us on to the third point. Do not bother with the opinions of those who seek to demoralize you. As I said, this, this person I got into a major argument with, and he's a you know, member of my family, um, uh, as a, he's a relative of mine. Uh, this is somebody whose opinions I used to respect considerably. On a number of subjects, but on this subject, you know, on on these subjects, on into on on politics or the kung flu or uh, a fairly wide range of other subjects, I no longer have any respect for his opinion. 
and I'm not going to listen to him. And I, you know, I just, I'm just going to tune him out. Um, I don't read, or I, I just refuse to engage with uh, that side of things anymore. I like if people, or I used to be on email lists, which barrage me with all of this information about how bad things are going to get, how much the uh, the alt the alt right media is lying to you, how how uh, crazy people are questioning the science, how. Um, terrible it is that uh, we're not all quarantining, we're not all wearing masks, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. I've stopped engaging with it. I no longer believe in listening to that stuff, and I no longer have any interest in listening to people who are involved in that point of view. Now, you can argue that that's closing off your mind. It sort of is, yes. Uh, but here's the thing. You have to admit your own biases. And all of us are biased. All of us have biases. My bias is indeed towards hope and uh, a brighter future, believe it or not. And that's exactly why my site exists, particularly in its current form. I don't do blackpilling anymore. I used to, but I don't anymore. I don't indulge in defeatism anymore. I used to, to some extent, but I don't. Not anymore. And that's why I am totally against the lies and the evil of the mainstream media. I truly believe that these people are so corrupt and so disgusting and so despicable that they really do deserve to be tried for treason and lined up and shot if they are found guilty. Um, I no longer hide my, my disgust for them. I, I no longer bother uh, with trying to ameliorate my opinion or trying to make my opinion more palatable to others. I just don't care anymore. Um, and the reason why I don't care is because these people are indeed uh, genuinely dangerous. The thing is, you were given a brain to use for a reason. Um, you have a bias, okay, that's fine. You have a brain, okay, that's fine. It used to be that you could go to the media to tell you the truth. You know, there's an old, uh, there's, a, there's a lyric from uh, Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche. And you know, one of my podcasts in the past was titled Operation Mindcrime. It was, in, it was inspired by that album. Um, uh, I used to trust the media to tell me the truth. Uh, and you know, something else, uh, I forget the exact lyric. Uh, I used to trust the media to tell me the truth, but uh, now I see the payoffs everywhere I look, um, and so on and so forth. You know, that's uh, that's the the, the lyric itself. Um, that's exactly what it's like right now. the The media has chosen the side of evil. It's chosen the side of lies. It's chosen to serve lies. Okay, fine. Don't listen to them. Don't pay for them anymore. Where I am right now, in the UK, um, here's a great example of exactly how you don't have to support lies. Where I am right now in the UK, they have the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. And the BBC is one of the great national institutions of the United Kingdom. Now, the BBC is supported by a license fee. This is a kind of a unique construct. Basically, 
if you own a TV, you have to pay, uh, I think, 150 or 170 pounds a year to use that TV. It used to be that you had to pay that fee regardless. You didn't have a choice. Because if you received public television broadcasts from the BBC, that amounted to the, the cost associated with keeping public television afloat. The BBC gets enormous amounts of money from that license fee every year, and it gets more from advertising, obviously. But the BBC has always defended this fee by saying, well, we produce the best content around, nobody else can match us, and because of our content, it's okay that we charge people this fee, no matter what they do. Well, that was before the days of streaming services. 2020 has completely upended the traditional broadcast model. We don't need broadcasters anymore. We don't need the BBC to keep ourselves entertained. We have other alternatives. We have Netflix. I don't particularly like Netflix. Uh, I, I think that they are a very convergent, very evil corporation. We have Disney Plus. We have Disney, the whole umbrella of Disney services. Again, a very evil company. We have um, Verizon and AT&T. Not a whole lot better. We have um, CBS All Access. <laughs> Forget it. But the point is, there are alternatives out there. And you may not like the companies that make those alternatives, but the alternatives are there. You can take advantage of them. You are no longer stuck with one provider providing one point of view. You can go to other places. And that's the beauty of things. You don't have to be uh, stuck with one particular point of view. The BBC can no longer get away with charging that £170 license fee. Because that license fee specifically says you only, you must pay it if you watch BBC on your television, if you get live TV services, or you use BBC iPlayer. Guess what? If you don't use either of those things, they can't do anything to you. They have no legal grounds whatsoever for uh, enforcing the license fee. They can send people to your house in the UK to knock on your door and uh, ask you if you're using um, BBC or BBC iPlayer. You don't have to let them in. They have no legal right whatsoever to enter your house. They have no legal right to check your television. They can't do anything to you. They can only send you a letter saying, oh, we will show up to you, you know, to, to inspect your house on such and such date. Well, that's really dumb. Um, if they're going to show up on that date, be out. Don't answer the door. You don't have to pay for people who hate you. You don't have to support them. That's the beauty of 2020, you know, the, the aftermath of 2020. We don't have to deal with these lies anymore. We don't have to support them anymore. We have alternatives. If you don't like the other corporations that are out there, um, if you don't like YouTube, and God knows I hate YouTube. I mean, it's a, it's a great platform for a lot of information, but their trust and safety team is... Uh, unbelievably dumb. Uh, I mean, to a degree that's actually hard to understand if you don't see it for yourself. Uh, the, the YouTube trust and safety team will happily allow Islamic apologists to say the most heinous and disgusting things about apostates, Christians, Hindus, you know, polytheists as they call them, um, Buddhists, uh, women, and so on and so forth. 
they can get away with that just fine. There's no problem with them calling for public executions of um, apostates. Uh, Ali Dawa actually said exactly that. I mean, there's a video clip of him online in which he says that um, in an Islamic caliphate, uh, uh, apostates will be executed, and we're proud of that. I can't, I can't replicate his voice because he's got such a high-pitched soy boy voice. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, I'm good at impressions, but I can't do that. Um, but he says some hilarious things, and he basically says, uh, "Under, uh, you know, have we have we have no doubt, and we're proud of that." Okay, I'll try a little bit. Um, uh, he basically says, uh, "In an Islamic state, uh, apostates will be executed. We have no doubt, and we're proud of that. We absolutely this will happen." Uh, not, not, you know, people going out around and doing it themselves like, like, like idiots. Uh, but under an emir, uh, it is done. Yes, it is done. And you know what? We'll be watching. We'll be watching. This is what he said. YouTube's trust and safety team has absolutely no problem with uh, a Muslim saying stupid shit like that on a YouTube video. But, um, somebody like David Wood, Dr. David Wood, uh, the Dizzle, one of pro the most popular Christian polemicist and apologist online right now uh, posts a response video in which he basically um, compiles clips of uh, Islamic dawagandists saying dumb stuff like this and YouTube's uh, or basically pointing out some of the really disgusting things within Islamic theology about like Muhammad having sex with nine women in one night that's in Islamic sources or Muhammad being a pedophile, that's in Islamic sources, or Muhammad drinking, advocating for people to drink camel urine, that's in Islamic sources. Um, things like this, which are hugely embarrassing to Islam in general. And the, the reaction from the YouTube trust and safety team or from uh, Islamic dawagandists is to run screaming and saying, no, oh, he's offending, he's, he's hurting our feelings. Well, okay, too bad. I mean, he's hurting your feelings, big deal, grow up. But the thing is, we don't have to support them if we don't want to. With YouTube, the simplest and easiest way to stop them uh, or to deny them any kind of hold over you is just to block their ads. You can do that on your web browser. Uh, if, you, if you watch a lot of YouTube videos on your mobile, um, there is a trick to doing it. The YouTube app will not let you skip videos or skip ads easily, but you can do it by uh, clicking on a video and then you'll see the ads in the play bar. There'll be little yellow sections in the place in the in the play stream. Scroll ahead to the very nearly the end of the video and let it finish. Turn autoplay off if you want to, but let the video finish and then hit the rewind button and go all the way back to the beginning. Now it will play without ads because you just fooled YouTube's algorithm into thinking that uh, you've watched all the way through. YouTube still hasn't figured out a way to, to deal with that, and that, that hack has been around for a while. So if you really want to stick it to the big tech giants, you can. Uh, you can start up your own site. You can build your own platforms. I did, and I'm not saying I'm, you know, it's a, it's a great platform, but um, it is a useful one. And I can monetize it, and I have monetized it, and I can make money from doing these things if I want to. If I want to devote real time and effort to it, I can do that. So you are not alone and you are not out of options. 
you do not have to support the uh, efforts of those who despise you. You do not have to waste your time dealing with their opinions. You can seek out your own truths. You can make up your own mind. You don't have to trust what the media tells you because they, they cannot be trusted. They have violated any right to that trust. So don't trust them. Don't trust people who spout the mainstream media narrative. Don't bother with people who only watch the BBC or CNN or you know, the Clown News Network or um, anything else that smacks of the mainstream media. Just don't bother with them. They're not worthy of your time. Don't deal with them. Yes, you're going to lose friends and family in the process. What's the price you have to pay? The truth hurts. It's painful. But it's worth pointing yourself to it. The fourth tip I have for you for this year, seek out allies wherever possible. This today marks the eighth anniversary of my site, my blog. The original blog, didaxreach.blogspot.com, was founded January 1st, 2013. This is January 1st, 2021. Eight years. You have any idea how many blogs make it past six months? Almost none. Very, very few blogs make it past two years. Uh, even fewer still make it past five. I've been doing this for eight. Vox Day, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, peace be unto him, Vox Day has been doing this for 17 years. 17 years. Twice as long as my site. And I've been reading him for 10 years, at least. Uh, probably more. More like, uh, more like 12 or 13 years by this point. So, when people say um, that it's hard to do this stuff, I'm telling you, from personal experience, it's really hard to do this stuff. I wouldn't, have kept, I wouldn't have continued to do it if I didn't get great pleasure from it. Um, but I really wouldn't have continued for eight years with no end in sight, no sign of slowing down, if I didn't come across some really great readers and really good friends in the process. Um, I have met a number of my readers in person. I have interacted with several of them entirely online. Uh, some of these guys have turned into good friends. These are allies which I never would have found if I had not taken that step eight years ago and started up my site. People have written into me, uh, particularly since I started up the Agogi, and said to me, like, they've, they've, they've thanked me for changing their lives. And I'm like, what did I do? And they said, you gave us hope. You told us that things can be better in the future. You, through your writing, you pointed out to us that the lies of this world are temporary and the truths are permanent. And it, the truth won't bend for us. We have to bend for it. And that gave us purpose. It gave us life. It gave us definition again. These are guys who went through divorces and job losses and homelessness. Uh, these are guys who had their kids taken away from them. These are guys who faced massive lawyers' bills and, and uh, huge government pressure to, to give in and surrender. These are guys who lost all hope. And they came to my work and my site and they said, you gave me back my hope. These are the people that I write for. I write really, I mean, honestly, I write just for myself. I keep saying that. I keep telling people that. I don't do this for any money. I don't do it for any reward. That's true. But I'd be lying if I said um, I don't take deep pride and pleasure from hearing these stories 
These are the rewards. These are the people that make the difference. So seek out those allies and make sure that you take advantage of whatever opportunities come your way. These are the people who will sustain you when times get tough, and they will get tough. 2021 is going to be a very, very turbulent year, and you need to be prepared for it. It's a lot easier to be prepared when you have people fighting on your side. Fifth, and very, very importantly, and I want to close on this one, pray often and pray hard for help. You're going to need it. This year is going to be a very, very challenging one for a number of reasons. Um, I can tell you right now, you know, I'm looking out on one of the main streets of this city. Uh, it's a very old city. Uh, it dates back to Roman times, actually. And, uh, you know, that's 2000, 2,100 years ago. Not quite, but almost. Uh, the Roman conquest of Britain was, what, 49 BC, 59 BC, something like that. That's how this city dates back to about, I don't know, uh, zero, basically the birth of Christ, roughly speaking. Maybe a little bit younger than that. It's about 2,000 years old. Uh, and it was at the forefront of the Industrial Revolution in, in the UK. This was uh, one of the major cotton-producing centers of the world at one point. But since then, it has fallen on very hard times, and it reinvented itself and it came back. And now it's falling again on very hard times because of the coof. I'm looking outside at a main road, and it's almost completely empty. There's nobody here. I've lived in Moscow for eight months, and... Um, Compared to that, you know, a city of 12 million people, this is tiny, I and mean, it's about you know, nowhere near as big. But in Moscow, even at the, during the worst of the, sh of the shutdown, back in March, the streets were still reasonably busy, people were still wandering around. Here I see people wandering around, but not many. Not what you would expect for a city center. So this is what we're looking at, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a situation and a time where things are incredibly uncertain. The only way you're going to get the certainty and the comfort necessary to fight back against all this is by praying. Pray to the Lord, ask Him for guidance and for help. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and He's willing to step in and fight for you. Remember, as I said in my uh, Christmas podcast, our religion is a fighting religion. Our God is a warrior God. Do not make the mistake of believing the wishy-washy pabulum that the churchans and the, the modern culture would have you believe is Jesus Christ. Jesus was an incredibly hard man, teaching incredibly hard things. But he was also a man of, a God man, of incredible compassion and love, and decency, and kindness. Take advantage of those things. You're going to need them for what's coming ahead. That is about all we have time for. It's coming up to one hour, and uh, I've touched on a hell of a lot of topics. I hope you found this uh, useful and illuminating, and uh, all that remains for me is to wish you a very happy new year, and uh, many thanks, as always, for your continued patronage of my work. Uh, if you want to support me, uh, you can always do so by sending Bitcoin. Uh, you can do so by uh, buying some of the affiliate products that I have listed on my site. You can do so uh, by, most importantly, liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing, especially sharing. Send this to all of your friends, especially the ones you want to offend. 
um, and you want to point towards the truth because um, being offended is the first step to learning the truth. Always is. With that in mind, I'm going to wrap up here. This was Didactic Mind, episode 62, Tumble and Turn. Uh, and this is Didact, signing off.